Today's reading is from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. <coughs> Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Daughter Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment, he has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Word of the Lord, please be seated. Good morning. I'm Pastor Tim. Uh, if we haven't met, I would love to meet you after the service, so come and say hi to me. Introduce yourself to me. It'd be great to get a chance to meet you. Welcome to Hallelujah. Uh, we are in the season of Advent. Uh, you can tell by looking around uh, the decorations and on the video. Thank you to the crew who uh, helped put up all the beautiful decorations for Advent. Uh, let's interact a little bit here as we get started this morning. How many of you have started your Christmas shopping or are done? Who's, who's, done, who's done some shopping? Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, uh, and Cyber Monday are behind us. Black Friday, it actually used to start at midnight. Now they can't even wait for that, right? We had a few folks in our uh, household take advantage of Black Friday after Thanksgiving dinner. We won't name any names, but I was home um, supervising the pie leftovers. So that's what I was doing. Uh, I saw on social media something I thought was kind of interesting, and this is not a commentary on any of us who took advantage of deals on Black Friday, but it said something like this. It said, you know, only in America would we trample one another to buy things on the very same day we've just given thanks for everything we already have. It's kind of true, isn't it, when you think about that? I mean, think about it. And then Small Business Saturday, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, we want to support our small businesses and our community. It's not only good for our own communities, it's uh, good for our economy. It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful day to get out. And then Cyber Monday, personally, if I could just be honest with you, that is my favorite shopping day of the year. Who else enjoys a good Cyber Monday? You sit in your chair, your feet are up, you do all your shopping, you click a button, it shows up at, I mean, my wife says, Kathy says, don't you miss the hustle and bustle and the excitement of the mall? And I go, no, I don't miss that at all. I don't miss that at all. So Cyber Monday, a wonderful thing. And now, as if Cyber Monday couldn't be enough, you've got to extend it all week long. Why do we do this? Well, for most of us, if we push aside some of the secondary reasons, we feel obligated to get gifts for people. We feel, quite frankly, we peel back all the layers it's an expression of our love for others. We give gifts to express our love, our gratitude for other people. Sometimes we hit it and we get a gift and the recipient is overjoyed and, 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 the, and the reaction is amazing. 
Let's take a look at some of America's funniest home videos of kids getting a little excited on Christmas. Yeah, she changes her tune there, doesn't she? She's crying. Her parents gave her dog food as a gift. Why did you get dog food? Ah, she goes crazy. I, I kind of connect with the one kid who opened the box, and it, it was a macaroni and cheese box. Macaroni, macaroni, macaroni. That would have probably been me. But we all receive these gifts differently. What would this Advent season be like for you if you could receive the gifts of God this Advent with a childlike heart? What would it mean for you in these next four weekends of Advent to receive God's gifts like a child? Like a child overjoyed with the incredible gift given to them. Well, we are in the season of Advent, as mentioned a few times. We'll bring up the first thing about Advent. It's from a um, Latin word, adventus, advent, uh, coming from this word simply meaning arrival, um, to come uh, in the Latin. So Advent is a season that we are excited about the arrival of Jesus at Christmas, but also his second coming. So it's a twofold uh, advent. One is, of course, the obvious one that we're pointing to uh, as we're getting ready is Christmas. But also, every time we say the creed, we say, He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We're talking about Jesus coming back. Jesus promises to come back in the New Testament. He's going to come back as promised. And He says, We don't know the day or the hour. So part of Advent is not just getting ready for Christmas, but always having our heart ready for Jesus to come back at any time. Because we won't know. The next thing 
about Advent that is, is kind of interesting is why all the blue, you see everything's turned blue up here. Um, blue is the symbol and color of hope. Uh, so those of you who work in colors probably know that. Um, and there's an interesting backstory <laughs> in my heritage, which is true. The Scandinavians, who did a lot with liturgical colors of the seasons of the church year, um, some of you may remember that the original color of Advent is purple. It's, it's purple. But the Scandinavians knew that purple dye was way expensive. So they settled for blue. So the Scandinavians were frugal, and now we're in blue. So enjoy the Do you like the blue? The blue's nice. It's a symbol of hope. And a hope of hopeful expectation that, that Jesus is, is uh, returning, with all due respect to our Scandinavian ancestors. Let's move along. Four weekends uh, before Christmas is usually when the season of Advent is. So that's why this is the first Sunday in Advent. And it's a time of preparation for Christ's arrival, as mentioned, at Christmas, but also his second coming. Be ready. Be prepared. He's coming back. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a wonderful quote about Advent as a prisoner who was one in the first part of the 20th century as the theologian and pastor in Germany um, objecting to Hitler and the Nazi regime. He was in prison and would lose his life because of uh, his objection to the, the regime. But he wrote this, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. Let that sink in. A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, and is completely dependent, completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. You see, God comes to us. The arrival is God coming to us in Jesus. We don't... We, we so often want to find God. We want to read the right book or go down the right path or jump through the right religious hoops to, to get to God. And the reality is, and the truth of Scripture is, God comes to us. God seeks us out. The Holy Spirit calls us to faith. God arrives. The question is, what do we do with that gift? How do we respond? The next four weekends, we're going to be talking about the gifts of God to us at Advent. And, and we're going to first focus on promises. Promises. And we're going to talk about um, this in just a second, but think about promises. Aren't they fascinating? There's two little guys, two little brothers who are going to make some boiled eggs. And one of the brothers says to the other brother, um, I'll give you a dollar if you let me crack three raw eggs over your head. And the other little guy goes, you will? Really? You promise? And he goes, yeah, I'll give you a dollar. And he goes, great. Go ahead. So he stands there and he closes his eyes and his brother with joy and glee takes that first rag and crack. Down it comes, rolling down the face. The brother's giggling. The other brother's giggling. He goes, here comes number two. Boom. Down the side, over the ear. They're laughing and giggling. But he's also now, it's, the laughing turns to this isn't very fun. And he, he's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. He asks his brother, when's the third egg coming? His brother goes, it's not. He goes, how come? His brother goes, because that would cost me a dollar. We live in a culture and a society that is grounded, if not founded, 
on promises. Keeping promises, making promises, contracts are signed, handshakes are made. And yet, simultaneously, we are very gifted as a society and a culture at breaking these promises. And we live in the, in the midst of the tension of being brought up in a culture that is all about promises, and yet we're really good at breaking them. A business or a coworker make you a promise, and next week they're stabbing you in the back. What happened? I thought you made a promise to me. I thought we shook hands on that. Spouses stand at the altar and they hold hands and say, I promise in a vow. And they make that promise to one another. And, and we know those are broken. Promises happen all the time, but promises are being broken all the time. But here's what the Advent hope is for us today. God is a God who keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. From the beginning of our scripture to the end, God delivers on his promises. He promised he would send a son. He did. The son promised he would suffer and die and rise again on the third day. He did. He promised he will come back again one day. He will. God keeps his promises. And we're going to look each weekend in Advent now at the promises of God to us at Advent. So let's move on to here. Let's learn about Zephaniah. Who is Zephaniah? Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets. In the Old Testament, prophets are people who speak for God. God inspires them to deliver a message to his people and the prophets deliver it. Zephaniah is a minor prophet. He's one of the 12 minor prophets. There are 17 prophets in the Old Testament. Five are major prophets, 12 are minor prophets. Why are they called minor prophets? Why are there major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the minor? It's simply because of the amount of material and, and writings we have. So the major prophets are the big ones in your Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, they're the big ones. But then we have the minor prophets. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, and so forth. Zephaniah was a prophet, and we'll bring up the first thing about him. He was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. He was one of the kings of, of the southern kingdom of Judah. So we, we know that he was uh, connected to royalty. Next, he served as a prophet to the southern kingdom when the, when Israel split, when the nation of, of God and the 12 tribes split uh, between the northern and southern kingdom. He prophesied to the people in the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was. Again, he was the ninth of 12 minor prophets. He worked with King Josiah to turn the southern kingdom back to God. There was a major problem going on. Idolatry. Idolatry. Having other gods. God's people worshiping other gods, desecrating the temple, and King Josiah and Zephaniah called him out on it and said, no, knock it off. You shall have no other gods. That's the first commandment. Next. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah, so if you read Jeremiah in the Old Testament, you know that Zephaniah and he were working simultaneously. And like of all the other prophets, there's a similar message of God's judgment and wrath, but it's always moved. There's always a movement from judgment and wrath to hope and promise. And hope, like the blue all around, is the message of Advent. So what is today's promise we're going to focus on? Well, we t it, 
It's that God makes and keeps promises. Turn back with me in Zephaniah chapter 3, page 768 in your brown worship Bibles. We're going to go back to verse 14 and following. Sing, daughter Zion. You were probably wondering, who is this girl named Zion? (laughs) Zion is just a hill outside of Jerusalem, and it became synonymous with Jerusalem, the holy city. It became synonymous with the people. So when you trip over the the term Zion in your scriptures, it's synonymous with, with God's people in the holy city. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your what? Your heart. Advent's a heart thing. Faith is a heart thing. Verse 15, the Lord has taken away your punishment. Now, in all of the prophets, we have what we see messianic prophecies, which means Messiah, which means Christ, which means the prophets are definitely speaking to a context in their time, but so much of what they wrote and said to God's people foreshadowed Jesus and the cross. And when we read the line, the Lord has taken away your punishment, Christians go immediately to the cross of Jesus. Where Jesus died for our sins on the cross, we're forgiven and we're washed clean of all of our sins by faith. He has turned back your enemy. In the context of Zephaniah, it was the neighboring uh, kingdoms, the enemies that would come and, and, and try to take over the land and eventually would come and take over the land. The Assyrians had already knocked out the northern kingdom. The Babylonians uh, were coming to take out the southern kingdom. The prophecies came true. But in this context, it was your enemy's real kingdoms. In our context, our enemies are our own sin, our own brokenness, our own death. And God has turned them back through the cross of Jesus Christ. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This lets us into understanding at a deep and profound level the very heart of God. I have, a few, I have three things I want to toss your way to think about today as we enter the season of Advent. God's heart is a heart that promises. I want you to repeat that after me. I'll break it down for you. Repeat after me. God's heart is a heart that promises. This is a biblical truth. And the first thing is this. He promises to be with you. Look back at verse 15. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Look back at 17. The Lord your God is with you. In the prophecies in the Bible, things were written to be shared in a small community or a large mid-sized community. They were never often read by anyone. They They were read by someone who read the scroll to the faith community. And so when you hear something twice within a few verses, you know the author wants to make sure they didn't miss it the first time. So you hear twice, God is with you. That's what Advent is all about. The arrival of God in Jesus. Emmanuel. How many of you have heard the term Emmanuel sometime? Okay, Emmanuel, the Greek version of the Hebrew with an I at the beginning, Emmanuel. Emmanu in Hebrew, with us. El, pronoun for God in Old Testament, 
Eman with us, God. El, God with us. Emmanuel. Jesus comes to us at Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is not in some distant throne somewhere, aloof from our, our lives and, uh, and unconnected to us in some, some distant land and some far-off kingdom. God is right here. He came, he walked the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and now his Holy Spirit rules and reigns wherever God's people are. There is a God who says, I'm going to be with you. Emmanuel, I promise I promise. Rachel was a preschool girl, and um, we can all connect at some level to this story. She was a preschooler who would get scared while she was sleeping at night, wake up and come into mom and dad's room and crawl into bed. Can I get an amen on that, any parents or kids? Rachel's mom got a new job. For the first time in Rachel's life, she would be gone. She had to travel. Dad came up with an idea and said, Honey, I have an idea. While mommy's gone, why don't I come in your room and I'll sleep on the top bunk? Rachel thought about it for a second and went, Okay. He tucked, her, tucked Rachel in to bed. She fell asleep. He went and did some things, came back to bed to go to bed himself on the top bunk. She was still out cold. She, he got up early, went to the kitchen. She's still out cold. She makes her way down later in the morning. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Daddy. Daddy, guess what? What, honey? I slept the whole night through. I know you did. I came to bed. You were sound asleep. I got up early. You were still sound asleep. I'm so proud of you. She said, I know because you were there. And he said, well, how do you know I was there, honey? Because I came to bed after you fell asleep and I got up before you got up. How did you know I was there? She said, Daddy, you promised you'd be there. God, our Heavenly Father, promises to be with us. To be with us. I will be with you. And that's the first thing. I want to share with you today to think about on this first weekend of Advent. The next thing is, he promises to save you. To save you. Look back in our text today, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who what? Saves. God saves. Look in your New Testament to the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9. Romans is after the four Gospels, the book of Acts, and then Paul's letter to the Romans. Verse, or chapter 10, verse 9. Scripture proclaims, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, believe where? In your heart. That God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Down to verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. God promises to save us. To save us. To save us from sin. To save us from death. Finally, let's go to the third thing. The heart that promises to be with you and save you also promises to love you. To love you. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but the days are getting a little shorter. And if you're like me, one of these weather people, it gets dark at 4.30 and you're like, what? Wasn't I golfing at 8.15 just a few months ago? I mean, 4.30? It's dark. You get up, it's dark. And for a lot of us, that's a struggle. And a lot of you might be sitting there going, oh, hey, Pastor Tim, thanks for trying to ramp us up for Advent, but quite frankly, the holidays stink. There's a loved one who's going to be there this year. The holidays are a struggle. Pastor Tim, I'm, I'm going through a trial right now. So preach your heart out, but these are dark days for me. Into this context, the God of hope, the God of Advent, whispers to you in the depth of your soul, in the depth of your heart, I love you. I love you. I created you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I was there when you had your burning cry. I have walked with you through your life. I am there with you. I am Emmanuel. I am going to save you. That is my heart's will and desire. And I love you. I love you unconditionally. You could never earn it. And you think, no one could possibly love me. There's someone here this weekend who's thinking, no one loves me. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. You have a God who is madly in love with you. Madly in love with you. Who loves you to the depth of your being. And you say, how is that possible? How could anyone love me? And God replies, just because. It is my heart to love. The Bible says God is love. The heart of Christmas, the heart of Advent is a heart that promises to be with you, to love you, and to save you. As we light the first candle in our Advent wreath today, I hope this one candle, this, this one candle represents the hope that is yours this Advent season by faith in Christ. You have a God madly in love with you who promises to be with you and who promises to save you. I'd invite you to close by putting your hand on your heart and know that God's heart that promises these things to you at Advent wants you to know these things today. And if you'd like, you can repeat after me out loud. God is with me. God saves me. God loves me. May we pray. Gracious God, on this first Sunday in Advent, thank you for coming to us by a son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your promises that are true. Thank you that we can rely on your promises and know that your promises are real, that your promises are tangible in our own lives. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord for your heart and desire to save us from sin and death. Thank you, God, for your unconditional and abundant love in Jesus Christ. God, you are Emmanuel. You are with us. 
In Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen.